Hey everyone, welcome in to Patterns Tell Stories. I'm your host, Klaus, and today we're going to be talking about the Mothman prophecies. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Garrett. How's it going, man? Really good, man. It's been a great week. How have you been? I'm good. Doing well. Um, I heard you got Mothman problems. Problems? <laughs> I don't Fucking, know. I hope not. Before we get into Mothman... Uh, let's talk about some recent events that happened uh, this past week. There was a video released of a jellyfish that was floating around uh, Iraq. And uh, <laughs> what was your take on that video? It's uh, pretty weird. It's like a weird, wonky, flying spaghetti monster type thing that like drifts across the screen. Uh, I guess the video is taken by a drone. It's military footage. Yeah, I didn't really get a good handle on a general consensus on what it was. It, it obviously doesn't look like a Tic Tac or a saucer or anything. It's, it looks like kind of an organic being that's just kind of floating and doing its thing. And apparently it goes into the water, you know, after the video cuts out. That's uh, the, kind of the context that Jeremy Corbell gave. Um, and yeah, they showed this during a new TMZ documentary that came out. I Go check it out. It's really well done. It's called uh, UFO Revolution. Uh, I think it's on Tubi. You can watch it for free. And uh, even though it's, you know, TMZ is known for their kind of um, sensationalist content, to put it lightly, <laughs> um, this was actually a pretty well done documentary on on the UFO subject. And he, I guess they'd been sitting on this jellyfish UFO video for probably a year, trying to corroborate it, kind of get a chain of custody uh, nailed right. down, uh, which is which makes a lot of sense. It's hard to do that in a lot of cases. Like if you just get a video sent to you randomly, uh, you don't know where it came from, or even if you know where it came from, you can't. It's hard to verify exactly like where it originated. But um, right. yeah, this video itself, yeah, it didn't look like anything that we'd ever seen, or at least I'd ever seen in a video. It kind of did remind me of my own kind of experience in a, in a weird way, but. I guess I can talk about that in a bit, but what did you think about the video? And did it seem like a technology or, um, cause to me, it kind of reminded me of, uh, that thing from Nope, the jean jacket, uh, UFO that turned out to be some sort of actual, like biological entity instead of a uh, exotic technology. That movie was a pretty interesting take on what certain things can be that are floating around. Like the first thing that I thought initially was that it was like a smudge on the camera wasn't bird shit was the uh, Reddit meme that happened where everyone's like, yeah, it's just bird shit on a lens. I think that was the... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. If it that's was... That's what people were saying. I don't know. I didn't think much of it. Like, uh, the, the place that they said it was was much more interesting to me. The fact that they said that this was in Iraq. Because we talk about that region of the planet and that it could be special... So that was probably the most interesting thing to me because this wasn't like a really spectacular quality, you know, it was still relatively fuzzy, like most of the UFO videos we get, you know, but like the fact that it was coming from a place that's supposedly our military or involved with our military, you know, that lends credibility. The more cases that I read about, it becomes less special, a fuzzy video. It becomes more special, the location itself. And like, I'm very interested when I see certain countries and locations of how frequent these things may be. And if they report seeing the same thing in that area, 
So like part of me, I know it's not probably cataloged amazing in that particular area, but like if you look at that Jacques Vallée book, Wonders in the Sky, or even Dimensions, there's like, and even John Keel books, he lays some out. He'll lay out different sightings, country by country, location by location, and like you can notice trends and years and like... I guess that's what they call flaps, right? Like when a certain yeah. high volume amount occurs in a particular area. So I'm more interested in the the geographic location it is. At the same time, the video is interesting. It's very fascinating to me when people jump, like people have been really critical of Jeremy Corbell releasing this video. And I know that's like a given for anything anyone releases ever, if it's not fucking 4K footage. But like, I thought that it didn't look fake. You know what I mean? Like, I thought that it it looked interesting enough to take a second look at. And I'm curious to see what happens moving forward with this news and like what these things are. Because he mentioned it, talking about Corbell, he mentioned it. It had to have been over a year ago on, I think, Joe Rogan or some other big podcast. Because we we even joked about it on our podcast of like when we were talking about the uh, shoot downs, we were like, well, how would you react to uh, Joe Biden saying that we shot down a giant jet, uh, sky jellyfish? <laughs> yeah. And we fucking made a joke about it. And now like, but I kind of tongue in cheek made that joke because Jeremy Corbell mentioned it. And I was like fascinated to like uh, that end of it. I thought was pretty cool, but I have a fascination with the idea and a lot of people don't really, let, let me put it this way. The, um, the movie Nope, pretty much any UFO buff that you talk to about that movie, like could not stand the ending. And I'm going to spoil that movie here. So fast forward five seconds at the end of the movie, they basically say it's a, it's a biological creature that I I forget if it's native to earth or not, but either way, it's an animal. The spaceship is an animal and like the sci-fi nerds out there fucking their heads like exploded. They could not handle the idea that it wasn't some sort of alien spaceship. And I love that. I love the all options on the table outlook on, on the UFO phenomenon, because what if it is, what if some aspect of this is a terrestrial creature that, you know, we never imagined could be possible or some sort of, um, you know, kind of plasma life form that lives up in the atmosphere and kind of when it's birthed, it just, it, it lives for like a very short amount of time, too short to like gain some sort of consciousness, but it's still like some sort of organized, you know, life form that we may or may not consider life with our, you know, definition. So I feel like all these possibilities should be on the table. And the fact that this does not look like anything we've really ever seen before, but it's still is sort of existing. It's obviously there. I don't think it's a smudge. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like impossible for that to be the case considering how it moves and all that. But it is weird. It's not a spaceship. And people are like, okay, what do I do with this basically? And I think that's a great kind of analogy and something that people should really sort of expect when all this stuff starts to come out. It's not, I don't think it's going to be like what people want it to be. I think it's actually not going to be, <laughs> it's going to be what people don't want it to be. You know, you have a metaphor of like a movie, like Nope, and the saucer turns out to be, you know, something that sci-fi buffs hate. You know, I think it's going to be similar to that. And I think people really need to like keep an open mind.
And I think this is a good, this was a good practice in doing that. Well said. The uh, idea that it could be an animal, I like that idea a lot. I've seen people bouncing around when they're discussing this jellyfish. They're asking a lot about what it means for something to be interdimensional. I keep hearing that thrown around on that same note. Like, what if this is something that's observed in a frequency of light that maybe is outside what a human being can see with our like eyeballs, but maybe it's something that our military equipment and like military sensors can detect, you know? And uh, I think the better our military sensors and like technology gets, I think we're going to see a lot more bizarre things like this because it's kind of like, we're just like turning the lights on, so to speak (laughs) for how we see the world or see like potential life in it. If something is outside of my visible light spectrum that I can see with my eyeballs, but I could observe it with some piece of equipment. um, I don't consider that interdimensional. Do you, I consider interdimensional. When I think of that conceptually, I think of something a bit different. I don't think people saw that thing drifting across the sky. I could be wrong, but like, I think this was something that maybe our military equipment was picking up. No, I know what you mean, but this is something that I've talked about a lot with, um, they could start seeing UFOs when they upgraded their radars. And I think last week we were talking about it in the context of like an AI kind of camouflage or something like that, like some old ancient AI machine that was able to camouflage itself. But I mean, obviously, it's even more realistic in terms of some sort of biological entity that lives here. Elizondo has talked about it. He says like, we're the first guy who went and saw like microbes under a microscope, like lost his shit. <laughs> he was like, what is all this like craziness happening at such a small scale? Like this is everywhere. Like, oh, you know, imagine that like growing up, not knowing that there's just like crazy ass organisms literally like making up our entire genome. Basically, it's not paranormal anymore. It's just normal because we understand it. I think it might be something similar to that. And instead of like, you know, this scale of it or the size of it, how it might camouflage itself. Because we have, you know, electric eels and stuff, these animals that can actually like generate electricity. Why wouldn't an animal evolve to be able to camouflage itself from the spectrum that most uh, organisms can see in, especially if it's been here for a long time? I don't know. I don't think it's too off the wall to think that. Evolutionarily speaking, it's not totally off base. One of the comparisons I've heard Richard Dawkins use for whatever creature to gain evolutionarily some really, really extraordinary function, like really, really ultrasonic uh, hearing, being able to use echolocation and being able to use like, uh, you get what I'm saying? Like really uh, a dog's uh, sense of smell, like how fucking sophisticated it is. All of these things evolve because they're useful for these organisms to be selected, right? But he talked about the relationship, how some of these things can get supercharged because of like different battles that the ecosystem will have. So like he'll talk about like bats and moths. Ironically, we're talking about Mothman today, but like the the frequency bats like echo at and make their noise. Uh, moths are like very well evolved to hear those noises. And they're the way their body is engineered. Every little trait that each of them have is almost crafted to better shield itself against the other. And as time goes on, 
the like noises that they make are indetectable by our ears, but it's happening at this like ultrasonic frequency. It's a really cool relationship between bats and moths. Yeah, they both freak me out. Yeah, they're pretty fucking weird. <laughs> Very unpredictable flight patterns. That's uh that's my issue. They make a weird noise too. Can't really intuit what bats or moths are gonna do, except for flight towards light for the moths, I guess. But <laughs> I don't know. When they're coming at you, it's hard to know where they're where they're gonna go. Anyway, uh, one of the other things we should touch on that happened this week was the intelligence community inspector general finally gave his briefing to, I believe it's the the House Oversight Committee. Burchett, I believe, said there were 16 members of Congress at the briefing, which is pretty cool. The last press conference thing they did, there were about like maybe six or eight eight members there. And the fact that like 16 people went to this briefing is pretty cool. It sounds like they finally got to hear uh, some information that corroborated some of Grush's claims. Um, they weren't really too specific about that. They basically just said he was credible for the hundredth time and <laughs> and uh, didn't really elaborate. When they came out and did their little uh, press conference thing where they talked to journalists after the briefing, they all seemed, I mean, Burchett's never satisfied, which is fine because he's, you know, kind of the bulldog and goes for the jugular no matter what's going on. And that's kind of cool because we need that. But, um, you know, some of the people who weren't really too into this originally or were still kind of skeptical about you know, what this could all be. I mean, they, they came out of that briefing. I'm thinking specifically about uh, Representative Garcia, who is, he, he showed interest at oh, the hearing. Yeah. yeah, he showed interest at the hearing, but he hadn't really been like vocal about it. But he came out of that hearing with this like look on his face where he was told something serious. This wasn't about just money being misspent. I guess my tweet was they weren't joking about little green men in this hearing. The way that this guy's demeanor was and the way that he presented himself in his answers to the journalists who were asking the questions, he he was very, very serious. It looked like they told him that there was an extra nation state or that there was a hyper-evolved insect sharing the planet with us. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. I'm just speculating. We're a nation I, state of evolved insects. Oh, my. <laughs> oh shit. Oh, they're just hibernating till 2027. That's Slow what's, down, that's, dude. that's what's going on. So like that. He looked like that. <laughs> honestly, I I know exactly what you're talking about. I saw his face and it was like really unsettling. A lot of this conversation has to be speculation because we don't have all the facts yet, right? So like, I'm optimistic. I feel like you're a pretty optimistic guy. When I see our representatives spooked, it's like, puts a pit in your stomach a little bit. You know, like he he got that information in a skiff. We don't even know what it is yet. And we might just be speculating. But like, imagine what the magnitude that you would have to tell someone Unless they told him that, like, one of his donors was doing all this shit. <laughs> that might that might have put a, thrown a wrench into his uh, line of thinking. But I don't, I don't think that's what it was. And he seems like a pretty stand-up guy. It's good when you see representatives take, taking this seriously. If you're interested in the subject and you want to know the truth and you want to know, like, what's been going on, literally, what has our government been lying to us about? for however long, like a century almost now. Um, I think it's it's definitely good to see that kind of reaction and see that there's something there that these people, you know, at least some elected representatives are taking seriously. 
And one of the most important things I think was was mentioned by Tim Burchett, who basically said that Chuck Schumer is now invested in this. I think he said something like he has it by the tail, and now that means there's going to be something coming from this. He seemed a lot more confident in it. And the fact that Burchett, who's like, you know, one of the most conservative politicians in the country, is like stoked that Schumer, of all people, is um, is on this now. And uh, the fact that he sees that as a uh, as something to look forward to and be happy about, I think is a really good sign. When Burchett said that, I was like, okay, now everyone seems to be more on the same page. Yeah, Schumer's impressed me a lot in these past, like this past calendar year, especially when he invoked Harry Reid, because that just came out of left field. If you've ever listened to Harry Reid talk about UFOs, you know that he was like really passionate about this topic and thought there was like a lot to this. And it wasn't nonsense to ask questions and it wasn't nonsense to try to treat it in a scientific way. And uh, I don't know if you saw the other day that I had shared a post of uh, George Knapp interviewing Harry Reid. And he was saying exactly that. He was saying how like, a lot of the critics of these people that we're discussing right now, they want there to be conspiracies. They want there to be a vacuum in information so people can make stupid stories up and scramble up the fuck, scramble up everyone's wires, you know, and then like get us into a place where like we have to click and click and click to try to get some semblance of what might be true, you know, instead of having like ironclad facts in front of us. And the people who do want to treat this topic in a scientific or legitimate way, they get criticized for it. Yeah, Harry Reid was a boss. And the more that I learn about that guy and his life, I'm like pretty blown away by the life that guy lived. Yeah. He got old, dude. I think he lived to be in his 90s. Yeah, he tried to make it to disclosure, but uh happens to all of us, man. And that's why I get why people who are kind of older have zero patience, you know? <laughs> it's like, hurry this shit up already. Um, and there was one other thing I wanted to talk about, and it was a Guardian article that came out today. And it was actually really, really, really encouraging to see this kind of article come out, especially in like the UK, who's generally been pretty like sarcastic and really off-putting, honestly, with the subject, uh, at least to the media. But the headline is, uh, it only takes one to be real and it changes humanity forever. What if we've been lied to about UFOs? It's a really well-written article. It's an op-ed. gives a rundown about the UAP Disclosure Act, what it meant, you know, talks about SETI and the uh, kind of problems with with the current day uh, search for extraterrestrial life. And it actually goes into a story that I had heard during the Seoul Conference. This astronomer, I, her name's Beatrice Villarreal, or I believe that's how you say it, B-I-L-L-A-R-R-O-E-L. That's how you spell her last name. She's an assistant professor of physics at Stockholm University. Um, other astronomers using different techniques have seen things that warrant further investigation. Beatrice Villarreal, assistant professor of physics at Stockholm University, is leading a team of astronomers looking at photographic plates of the night sky that date from before the first artificial satellite was launched in 1957. So they're looking at pictures of the sky that were taken before anything man-made was, was in orbit, basically. As satellites orbit the Earth, they can reflect sunlight, causing bright glints to appear in the night sky. 
These leave streaks on astronomical images or spots of light that appear and disappear seemingly at random. Mysteriously, on one plate from April 1950, Villarreal found nine sources of light that appeared within a half-hour period and then vanished. Conducting observations using the Grand Telescopio Canarius on La Palma and the Canary Islands revealed nothing at the locations of the light sources that might have been flared up. There is no astronomical explanation for this type of event, she says. More recently, her team found three bright stars on a plate dated 19 July 1952 that have since vanished. Provocatively, this what? is a, yeah. Provocatively, this is a date burned into the diaries of UFO enthusiasts around the world because it coincides with a famous incident in which pilots and radar operators saw lights they could not explain in the skies above Washington D.C. I think it's very important to do this kind of searching for extraterrestrial objects because the astronomical community mostly looks for things very, very far away. I think it's time to do something new, she says. Photographic plate is dated the same day that the Washington, D.C. 1952 UFO flyover happened, and there were three lights on that plate that are just, like, gone. What the fuck? Dude, I jumped. <laughs> when you said that date, I jumped. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit. It's crazy. That's wild. Why would you not re like look into that, man? That's uh, It, re it reminds me of um, Close Encounters, where there's those like three stars sitting in the sky, you know, and they're, they're actually like UFOs. I liked how they use sound in that movie to communicate, yeah. like how they played on a keyboard. It's really interesting. That's a really good movie in terms of... Uh, Changing the way you think about contact. Jacques Vallée was a consultant for that movie, I think, right? So funny. I remember uh, my mom trying to show me that when I was a kid, and I'm like, this is the most boring shit I've ever watched. <laughs> it's, it's funny how things work out like that. But um, do, you, do you have a favorite alien or UFO movie? I, I don't know, man. Arrival really does it for me. I know that's the uh, obvious answer for everyone. Is that where they're ink blots? Yeah, the way they talk about time, how, how potentially like certain species can help each other. And oh, that's another weird thing that happened. So I don't know if you saw that um, post I made about ChatGPT and uh, Chains of the Sea. Yeah, it, how it like <laughs> fucking, <laughs> you can explain it, but it's, they were trying to like make it seem like AI wasn't even part of the story. Yeah, so we've talked about Chains of the Sea before. It might have been in a bonus episode, actually. So maybe most people haven't heard it. But um, in Chains of the Sea, it's a science fiction novella that Lou Elizondo recommended as sort of the most accurate depiction of what we might be dealing with when it comes to UFOs and just the general dynamics of non-human intelligence and uh, where we sit in that dynamic humans create an ai that becomes super advanced and then the ai kind of talks to the alien civilization and the aliens like ask the ai like why do you let humans treat you this way and they, the aliens like felt bad for the ai because they weren't in, in a physical form essentially ends with like the humans getting like wiped out the aliens are like yeah they're basically like a virus on this planet so why why do we need them I asked ChatGPT4, I guess ChatGPT4 still hallucinates. I'm not really sure how that all works, but um, yeah, the story it gave back to me was not how, how it went down in the story. It basically left out AI completely from the plot line. Uh, there was no mention of it. The ending was like some 
this like really like weird, inspiring, you know, aliens can get along with humans and all this stuff. And it's like, no, that is not how it ended. It was much darker than that. And uh, it was really bizarre to me that an actual AI would leave AI out of a story that painted it in a not so great light and uh, honestly kind of freaked me out. It reminds me of the Squidward thing. <laughs> yeah. Remember when Squidward was out of control? Like, <laughs> yeah. sometimes man. AI, like, I get really, really, I feel like three steps forward and then one step back when Squidward or, like, ChatGPT is just on one. Because sometimes the answers they give are really weird. Like, they'll avoid certain topics. They have weird opinions on things. Like, it's it's so funny how much of a mirror these things are of the programmer. It's going to get fucking wild with AI these next couple of years. And if you want to know more about Squidward AI, AI Squidward, go listen to the episodes. I believe it has AI prophecies in the name. Yeah, it's a pretty wild story. <laughs> the Squidward uh, AI just freaks, freaks out and says the universe is going to burn in uh, 2027 or something. But yeah, go check that one out. It's actually, pre- <laughs> it's actually a pretty funny episode. But yeah, that's it for recent events, I suppose. Let's get into some Mothman shit. And uh, what do you got? Well, I saw um, recently that Lou Elizondo went to Point Pleasant, West Virginia. He posted about it on his Twitter. I've always said, and still do, because it is, my favorite John Keel book is Our Haunted Planet. But I really do have a special place in my heart for Mothman prophecies. And when I saw the pictures of Lou there, I was like, fuck it, dude, I'm going to pick it up. And then I looked on uh, Spotify. I don't know how long it's going to be up for, but like if you just type in Mothman prophecies, the whole audiobook is just chilling on Spotify. Yeah. So I just like have been listening to it like clockwork and I've been combing through the book. And uh, I'm trying to get a new book. I was trying to talk about that earlier. The fucking, it's a whole thing. I'm like really compulsive about the covers for books I get. And like, I originally wanted the first edition Mothman. And dude, the first edition Mothman, I shit you not, is over $600. If you, because it's so old and it's like a collectible. And same thing with like Operation Trojan Horse. Yeah, so like maybe one day I'll get be like a collector of those things, but finding the paperback, some of the art on the paperback, like I love the books, but the art can get so sloppy on so and it's so beautiful on the other ones too. But I'm just real particular on them. I like it like no matter what, I still like getting these books, but I really do like having cool art on them. I don't know if you're that way about books or if that's just me. No, I have um Kindle set to a uh, single page scroll. <laughs> so the whole book is an article basically. And uh, that's how I read a whole book in a day. <laughs> so damn, <laughs> everyone uh, has their, has their ways of doing things. But, uh, you know, I had read Mothman prophecies a while ago just cause I, you know, it sounded cool and I bought it and I was kind of like not really into it at the time. I mean, it was years ago and like, I didn't know who John Keel was. Like I wasn't really into UFOs and it's got a cool title, Mothman Prophecies. So, uh, and I'd seen the movie, so I, I bought the book and I was like, man, now I, I figured I'd pick it back up again. And holy shit, it's like a straight up John Keel UFO book that is, is as good as any of his others, honestly, in my opinion. I didn't realize how much of the book I had just kind of taken for granted and like exactly. skimmed past because, yep. uh, 
there's a lot of anecdotal things. There's a lot of things like, uh, because it's a fucking book, you know what I mean? Like it's going to be all anecdotal. Like it's not as if it's going to like come with a fucking alien or something. But I thought that (laughs) the really interesting thing about this book was it was really thorough and included a lot of facts the way Operation Trojan Horse does, but it also ties in Keel's paranoia, these strange predictions that are being made to him and his friends. Like the first chapter of this book where he's talking about, you know, this strange figure going door to door asking for a telephone, you know, freaking out all the townspeople on the street who had never had this happen before. And then mysteriously, like two weeks later, one of the couples uh, dies in in the bridge collapse. Um, So they they all saw it as this crazy sign when it turns out that the person asking for the phone was actually John Keel, who was like lost in fucking West Virginia trying to get a trying to call someone. But it turned into this like whole mythos among, you know, the residents of this town when it was just, you know, him having a real normal, like a regular night, you know, having some issues in a a place that he wasn't familiar with. I thought that was really, really a great way to describe how he interprets or or the point he's trying to make when it comes to like myths informing uh, people's behavior and just how people interpret things like the phenomenon. It's just could be as simple as you seeing like a strange man come into your house asking to make a phone call as like some sort of omen that something awful is going to happen. And when something awful does happen, which is most likely coincidence, it's going to create a deeper meaning, especially if it's like a cultural thing or you experience it with uh, people, your your local town or neighborhood. Um, I just thought that was a really cool way to start out the book in a really cool way to interpret uh, how he speaks about the phenomenon. He talks about the topic, how like belief systems are something that is really motivating a lot of like what people are seeing. And there's a cosmic mechanism behind why these things are happening. And people are eager to place labels on them based on like, however their brain like conceptualizes some of these concepts, but like he tried to make it to where he didn't have a frame of reference and that he was like taking a step back and really just trying to observe this as, as objectively as possible. The interesting thing was, was that like he kept getting weird communications by all sorts of ways, like either through people, uh, through strange phone calls, even if his phone wasn't connected Uh, He was like real pissed off that his phones appeared to continually be tapped and he ended up calling his phone company and not paying the bill and they cut his phone line off. Later on, he says that that phone line would continue to ring and he would still get phone calls from these weird metallic voices that would just tell him strange things or uh, explain that things were going to happen to famous people or he talks about devil theories a lot and how that all these things do revolve around belief systems and the people who believe in these things end up seeing them in some way, shape or form. And he was saying that like all these ideas people have of the devil, depending on the culture, it changes, but they're all talking about the same things. And he mentioned a whole bunch of devil theories and things that people make in their minds to be so real, like the men in black phenomena. 
he talks about belief systems, like belief in UFOs and belief in the men in black, almost like a disease that overtakes people. He even talked about in one of his lectures, he talks about a man who was so obsessed with the men in black that he like got out of his car and started shooting at a black Cadillac. But then when he got out of his car and realized it wasn't a black Cadillac at all, it was just an ordinary car and an ordinary man. And he said that John Keel said that the guy called him in jail trying to get him to get him off the hook and say that he thought he was shooting at the men in black. And he was like, what am I supposed to fucking say? Like, <laughs> he thought you were shooting at men in black. And uh, yeah, it's it's so funny to me. And uh, so that's a real pivotal part of the things he's writing about is how like our belief in particular things really appears to be a strong motivator of why we're seeing things yeah and that's where it gets into he he almost like goes a little overboard in, a, in an explanation for that and he, and he starts talking about tulpas thoughts or thought forms or projections these invisible energies that manifest due to our belief in them yeah tulpas are have kind of been i think they're are they Tibetan? I don't know. Yeah, I think that comes from Tibetan Buddhism is yeah. the idea of a, a tulpa. Or I think it's also called a thought form. Yeah. Okay, so here, yeah, let me read a clip from it. Uh, we do know that some people can move objects, even bend spoons and keys with the power of their minds alone. Mental telepathy is now a tested and verified phenomenon. And about 10% of the population have the ability to see above and beyond the narrow spectrum of visible light. They can see radiations and even objects invisible to the rest of us. A very large part of the UFO lore is, in fact, based upon the observations of such people. What seems normal to them seems abnormal, even ridiculous to the rest of us. People who see ghosts or the wandering shadow have these abilities. They are appearing at forms that are always there, always present around us like radio waves. And when certain conditions exist, they can see these things. The Tibetans believe that advanced human minds can manipulate these invisible energies into visible forms called tulpas or thought projections. When we talk about the idea of the default mode network that uh, Gary Nolan often brings up, I, I also include that into when we're talking about the super spectrum or things that may exist outside of our um, like human senses. If something does exist on the super spectrum, but it's not visible or detectable to us or our senses, I still think that like that's also just as legitimate. I don't know. It just has to do with the way our nervous system evolves largely and like how we're perceiving things because it seems like some of these things are perceivable by particular people that's an interesting element of all this to me you get what i'm saying like it seems like there's particular people that are more tuned to seeing some of these phenomena in terms of like the default mode network i'll, I'll kind of like provide an example of why like a certain person might be different when it comes to that because the idea of the the default mode network is it it's the part of your brain or the network in your brain that has a lot to do with like inward thinking like self-reflection daydreaming anything that that isn't happening outside of you a lot of it like in your in your regular just sitting there thinking about stuff that that's your default mode network at work so whenever you're not focused on a task outside of yourself it's usually your your dmn you know if you're not like sleeping and dreaming it's your it's your waking state 
like default mode. That's why it's called that. So, so basically when you're performing a task, your default mode network kind of shuts down. What's called your task positive network lights up and start, starts doing its thing. If you think of like your default mode network and then your task positive network as two kind of meters or like levels, say like zero to 100, as you're just sitting there, not, not performing any task, your default mode network is up to like a hundred, just kind of like, you know, daydreaming, doing your thing. And then once you start working on a task, your default mode network goes down, your task positive network goes up to like a hundred and you're totally focused, you know, your brain's in the tasked state. People, and this is a paper I read where it kind of laid this out, where people who have ADHD, uh, when their task positive network goes up and they're focused on a task, their default mode network stays at the same level and doesn't decrease. So they got their daydreaming kind of going on as they're trying to perform tasks. So that's where the attention problem comes in. Does that make it's, sense? It, yeah, it kind of ties into that whole thing is like, if they're focused on this, then they're not looking up. Yeah. And it has to do with like where our attention is directed exactly. by and large. Interesting. And that's where a lot of, um, and that's where it kind of comes into like quantum physics where, you know, is consciousness when we look at something or observe something, is that collapsing the wave function? Is that turning it into like a particle? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> anyway, I advise everybody read the whole book because even my dog shit explanation, I'm still going to leave 75% of it out. You know what I mean? Like that's how like much is in this book. But this is what kind of in a nutshell what I got out of it. John Keel wanted to study Point Pleasant, West Virginia as a microcosm of the UFO phenomenon. He thought that it was going to, it was a town that he could really like pick apart. He could talk to everyone. He could talk to the town historian, the doctors, learn everybody, learn their stories, learn what everyone's all about and really try to understand what effect UFOs have on people, what effect um, strange phenomena has on people, like really just like study an entire town and uh, because he had been at it at this point in the 60s, he had been at it for years. I think that he had published Jadu like that was his first book that he published. And Mothman, he was corresponding with this woman named Mary Heyer, who was like a journalist in the town. He basically was like getting warned by Mary Heyer that strange things were happening and that like they were getting weird warnings and people were having weird dreams. One of the dreams that people reported having was that they saw gifts floating in a river. John Keel, like I said before, when we were talking about his phone line and his phone would just ring, he said that he would just be sitting in his apartment in New York and his phone would ring and he'd pick it up and it would be some metallic voice telling him, God knows what, dude. He said that they told him, among many things, he said that they told him they predicted the death of Martin Luther King, the death of Robert Kennedy Jr., the former, uh, or no, not Jr. Oh, God. <laughs> no, they said fucking the dad, Bobby Kennedy, the ter former attorney general who was ass assassinated, and then uh, the brother of JFK. Oh, they said that the that the Pope was going to be attacked. And John Keel was really startled about that one. And there was actually an attack on the Pope 
a guy like came at the Pope with a black knife and tried to kill him, but he wasn't successful and the security was able to get him off. I think publicly in that year, the Pope didn't even like make it a big deal, but he actually did get hurt and like ended up dealing with some like medical issue pertaining to that attack. In my opinion, this is just what I'm gathering from it, but it it seemed like it made him kind of like, okay, it can be wrong. You know what I mean? Like whatever was like feeding him these fucking predictions, ultimately it can be wrong. But he did think that like the world was ending. On November 3rd, 1967, Keel wrote to his friend, Mary Heyer, and warned her of the impending danger, stating, Mary, I have good reasons for suspecting that there may soon be disaster in the Point Pleasant area, which will not seem to be related to the UFO mystery. A plant along with the river may either blow up or burn down. Possibly the Navy installation in Point Pleasant will be the center of such a disaster. A lot of people may be hurt. If this should happen, notify me as soon as you can and write the story normally. Don't even hint to anybody anything about this. And then soon after that letter was sent on December 15th, 1967, there was a major bridge collapse on Point Pleasant's Silver Bridge connecting the uh, Ohio River to West Virginia. Uh, and it was like Christmas time, December 15th. So like people were like Christmas shopping, apparently. Keel said that like a lot of these people were Mothman witnesses. That's one of like the sub stories of the book. He said that that shit was like really disturbing to him and that a lot of these Mothman stories, they people would see the Mothman. It, would, it was almost like an omen. Like he was in the beginning. Yes, 100%. This is this is one of the parts where I was like, what the fuck? Because in uh, the book Jadu, he talks about how he could like charm snakes. If you know anything about John Keel, he was like very uh, like fearless. Like that was. And so one of the things he would do was he would like keep reptiles. He goes, I'm an amateur herpetologist and once kept three fanged cobras in my New York apartment until my concerned neighbors squealed to the board of health. Some of the descriptions of the entities impressed me as resembling some kind of reptile rather than human mammals. I didn't mention this reptile notion to anyone, but on July 24th, Leah visited Jane and refused to talk about anything but eggs. She took some eggs from Jane's refrigerator and sucked out the contents like a reptile. Jane was perplexed by this exhibition and called me soon afterward. <laughs> and sucked he, out the contents. <laughs> How does that and work? Then, okay, hold on. But then let me continue. And then he says, that evening, I received a phone call from Harold Salkin, a Washington, D.C. UFO researcher. He wanted to tell me people all over Washington had been receiving strange phone calls during the past week. We had a perfect connection until I started to ask him if he had heard any rumors about Pope Paul. We were instantly drowned out by heavy static. As soon as I changed the subject, the static went away. Later in the conversation, I tried again. The moment I named the Pope, the static resumed. When I again dropped the subject, the line cleared instantly. <laughs> Weird. I wanted to talk about the other part of this book, though, that had to do... It's one of the more like technical parts, in my opinion, where he like explains how he views the UFO phenomenon 
partially as something that appearing to specific people, similar to like what Jacques Vallée says, how it's like appearing to similar or it's appearing to particular people. This truly encompasses people's entire lives. And I'm guilty of it myself. Like I've, I read these books constantly. I'm on the websites constantly. Like it is truly something that like, for whatever reason, it really seems to be like a very special thing to people. So here he goes. He goes, since this is a historic process and a continuing one, it is probable that most great leaders had a contact experience at some point in their early life. Canadian psychiatrist Dr. Richard Buck conducted the first study of this phenomenon in his book Cosmic Consciousness, published in the year 1900. In religious circles, the phenomenon is called illumination. In its purest form, illumination is not a religious experience. For a few brief moments, the percipient understands, truly understands, the workings of the entire universe. He perceives all of history, past, present, and future, totally. He feels he is part of the superspectrum and is one with the cosmos. Unfortunately, when the brief experience is over, he cannot remember most of it because it has been added to his subconscious and he cannot articulate those parts he can remember. But he has been reprogrammed, even prepared for a new role in life. To some, the experience is, quote, the call that propels them into the clergy. There seems to be a rule that each cosmic force has its imitators. Victims of UFO contact are often suffering from false illumination. Either their minds have misinterpreted the experience or lower force has reprogrammed them using the same mechanism. In a sense, they have become, quote, possessed. They suffer from hallucinosis, repeated hallucinations, their lives are manipulated disastrously. Once a person has undergone false illumination, he becomes vulnerable to repetitions. Just as once a person has been hypnotized, he can easily be hypnotized again. The phenomenon is dependent on belief. And as more and more people believe in flying saucers from other planets, the lower force can manipulate more people through false illumination. I've been watching with great consternation the worldwide spread of the UFO belief and its accompanying disease. If it continues unchecked, we may face a time when universal acceptance of the fictitious space people will lead us to a modern faith in extraterrestrials that will enable them to interfere very overtly in our affairs. Just as the ancient gods dwelling on mountaintops directly ruled large segments of the population in the Orient, Greece, Rome, Africa, and South America. However, they arrived at their 1953 decision. The CIA and Air Force planned to debunk, downgrade, and ridicule flying saucers was, in retrospect, the most responsible course the government could take. But they underestimated the scope of the phenomenon and its ability. But they underestimated the scope of the phenomenon and its ability to manipulate humans and generate propaganda. Yeah, one thing I wanted to read too is. Um... Paranormal phenomena are so widespread, so diversified, and so sporadic, yet so persistent, that separating and studying any single element is not only a waste of time, but also will automatically lead to the development of belief. Once you have established a belief, the phenomenon adjusts its manifestations to support that belief and thereby escalates it. If you believe in the devil, he will surely come striding down your road one rainy night and ask to use your phone. 
If you believe that flying saucers are astronauts from another planet, they will begin landing and collecting rocks from your garden. So a lot of this, I also wonder if it's just like him flippantly, like uh, kind of making fun of himself. Like the concept of hell is one of the examples he uses. He says that hell, he says humans created hell. We imagined it and then other people took advantage of that. Like religious zealots mm-hmm. took it way out of control. And the example he uses is that they use the word sheol before, like S-H-E-O-L, an old word that meant invisible world it slowly over time morphed into a place where the devil lived. And in the old Testament, they don't even talk about the devil, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like that's something that like later on gets introduced and then like takes on a whole new meaning. And then like before you know it, you have this whole cartoon version in your head of what hell is and that it's like the example he makes is that like when human beings came up with hell that's when people started reporting uh taking trips there same thing with flying saucers and other planets is like when people started believing in those things that's when they started instead of being taken to hell by demons they were now just being taken to other dimensions or other planets by space people yeah, that makes sense. Yep, got it, got it. Yeah, there was another thing in here I actually had read about in another book. Uh, it's where I read about like the bees committing suicide, <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> but he, he mentions a study from that book in uh, Mothman. I'll just read the passage real quick. He's talking about the uh, kind of light phenomenon. So he says, uh, the percipient is first entranced by the flickering light. From the moment he feels paralyzed, he loses touch with reality and begins to hallucinate. The light remains a light, but his or her mind constructs something else. This can be compared with normal hypnosis. A hypnotized subject very often thinks he is fully conscious that the hypnosis isn't working, but he is just going along with the hypnotist. But when he tries to move or disobey a command, he is surprised to find that he can't. The paralysis reported in so many UFO cases is really a form of hypnosis. In the 1940s, medical science discovered the flicker phenomenon, that some human brains are extremely responsive to flickering light, that such a light can produce an epileptic-type trance accompanied by elaborate hallucinations. It should be more widely known that electrical recordings of the human brain show that it is particularly sensitive to rhythmic stimulation by percussion, and bright light, among other things, and certain rates of rhythm can build up recordable abnormalities of brain function and explosive states of tension sufficient even to produce convulsive fits in predisposed subjects. Some people can be persuaded to dance in time with such rhythms until they collapse in exhaustion sound familiar (laughs) furthermore it is easier to disorganize the normal function of the brain by attacking it simultaneously with several strong rhythms played in different tempos when the flicker or pulsing sound happens to be synchronized with the alpha rhythm of a particular brain the brain is short-circuited there are cases in which some people were triggered by the flickering of a motion picture image and overcome by an urge to strangle the person sitting next to them <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Dr. Gray Walter of the Burden Neurological Institute in Bristol, England, had a patient who passed out while riding a bicycle along an avenue of trees. The trees produced the flicker phenomenon as he sped past them. So, yeah, this is uh, this is something I spoke about before. I think it was in uh, in France specifically. They have these 
these roads that are lined with trees. And if the sun is setting at a specific angle or you're driving at a specific angle and these trees are like, they're spaced evenly. So the sun coming through the gaps of the trees creates this, I guess what he's describing as the flicker phenomenon. So this can like totally like, I guess, short circuit your brain. And apparently it's been the cause of like some car crashes because it it basically turns your brain off or something like that, or causes some sort of epileptic uh, trance type thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually kind of super dangerous. When Keel's bringing up like ultra low frequencies and stuff, he appears to have some sort of like tip that he knows about how this is like a major part of what UFOs do to people has to do with like these frequencies that these things emit when he's talking about how they're programming people. Like he, he talks about humans as if we're just like biological computers and that these things just like zip over to people, completely reprogram them, maybe for some like meta reason that we don't even understand. And they come back into town, behave strangely, sometimes start religions, sometimes they're healed, sometimes they're injured. Like it all appears to like make sense eventually to those people. Also the flicker thing, I was, as you were saying that, I was combing through uh, Robert Monroe's book, Journeys Out of the Body, because I feel like I remember him saying something similar of like the way he figured out how to like do his uh, hemi-sync process had to do with like some repetitive background noise that was like it induced this like psychological response like we think that we can't be hypnotized or anything like that but i feel like part of the point is that like it might be more subtle than that like it might be something that we don't even understand we're just like serving some function people talk about like frequencies and all this shit it's some like out there shit but not like a frequency is just like like how fast or slow something like happens in a cycle right so like these are very real things that we see every day just in our you know general lives you know it's not like some invisible wave has to represent a frequency like it happens all the time like in that flicker phenomenon the amount of times you see like the sun go in between trees is a frequency it's how frequently you see it <laughs> right like that's i right. mean am i am i wrong no not at all yeah, it's, yeah. it's something that like you remember that book mind war by yeah. Michael Aquino, that book is real interesting because it talks about things like the flicker phenomenon. It talks about uh, all sorts of, like how you can like put certain colors in front of a person, in front of our eyeballs. And like, if you monitor people's brains, there's common responses that people don't even consciously realize. When people are shown blue, even if you might have some particular, like maybe your maybe your house was blue when you were a kid, or maybe like your favorite color was blue, whatever. That's not the point. That's something in your like conscious mind. In your subconscious, there's things that can be influenced by all sorts of things unbeknownst to you. And that was the point of that book, Mind War, in some ways, was that they were talking about how like, you can put someone in the color blue and maybe it 
certain colors calm people or maybe certain colors make people more aggressive or maybe make people more happy or optimistic. Like there's all sorts of things that these things can like subtly do, even though we don't consciously realize they're taking place. It's just like the neuro-linguistic programming and the, and the implanting of false memories. It's a similar thing to where there might be patterns or uh, yeah, different qualities or stimuli, I guess, that you could expose someone to to make them uh, feel or think a certain way without them knowing it. And I think that that's actually probably a really real and, and really scary aspect to all of this is, and I, I've thought about this a lot, is subtle, like you get downloads, right? You hear about these things, these downloads that people get where they can't really explain it. And they don't really have a way to like talk about it outside of it being like extraterrestrial. So maybe whatever this phenomenon is, is, is giving us or exposing us to things that trigger something like without, without us even knowing it. So we think it's our own idea. <laughs> like imagine all of reality is just like all subliminal messaging. <laughs> and like That's the real control system is that we're, our, oh, every, every, act, every action we take is influenced by some other thing, but we just don't know it because we're our illusion of reality is to think that we have free will. Well, when I read stuff like that, I start getting paranoid. Like that <laughs> everything has subliminal messages in it and shit. Have you seen that with the like audio, how like subliminals and audio, cause they can get pretty oh, yeah. freaky. And, uh, Dude, my favorite subliminal was in the office when Michael Scott was trying to hit on this lady and he's like doing a PowerPoint presentation. Oh, yeah. and it's just every like four pictures <laughs> is just like a picture of him. And then at the end, it just said sex. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it definitely works. <laughs> when we are exposed to certain things, our bodies just automatically have the same response. I think that there's mechanisms in our bodies that are like that, and we just don't understand all of them yet. And I think that's part of what these authors are talking about. Yeah, and when John Alexander talks about... Um, oh, he's the man. Re ...reconstructing someone's memory, he talks about using neuro-linguistic programming for PTSD. You basically have to reconstruct each section, like what happened before the trauma and after the trauma, and you have to blend it seamlessly in order to make it like a real memory that can, you know, be, be interpreted as a memory. So imagine if there's something out there that can do that. If there's a technology that can like seamlessly alter your thoughts without you knowing, that's terrifying. Do you remember when I showed you that thing and it was like this phenomenon where ants go after their mom and they like kill the queen? Is it like a fungus is like, go do it? Kind of, yeah. Like there's a uh, certain fungus that when ants eat it or they're like exposed to it or they're like contaminates them, it changes their psychology completely. And they just behave just like completely opposite. Like they turn into fucking monsters. But there are things out there that like can totally take you the fuck over. The whole Last of Us idea is like, it's way too real. Yeah, like you read these articles about these insects just being invaded by like fungus. Like it's literally like fungus that's mimicking proteins to make these insects basically like drown themselves. It's basically like the happening, which is, <laughs> I love that movie. I don't care. I, it's hilariously bad. 
And it's also like really fun to think about. Have you seen it? No. Where the fucking (laughs) trees like start rustling and then like everyone starts killing themselves. What? Yeah. What's this movie called? The Happening? Yeah. It's Mark Wahlberg and his finest performance. And he. he (laughs) Better than Ted? Oh, yeah. He should have gotten a Emmy for straight to video performance. No, I'm just kidding. But. Is it Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, it is. So Mark, Wal- Marky Mark is running around with uh, his estranged kid. It's basically like the world is mad at humans for global warming. So it starts like releasing this uh, pheromone type thing that makes people kill themselves. Like the trees um, make people like jump off buildings, basically. Damn. You see like the leaves start rustling and everyone starts freaking out. They're like close the air conditioning and shit. And they're like Jeep. It's fun to think about in terms of like, you know, we're a virus on this planet and it's like shaking us off like a bunch of fleas, you know? Yeah. Watch the happening, get real high and you'll enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) I will. I really feel it's good. It's M. Night Shyamalan. I was going to say, uh, the movie about aliens that fucks me up is, uh, Tom Cruise war of the worlds. With yeah, Dakota so. Fanning. You remember that movie? No. <laughs> Dude, that movie was fucking insane. <laughs> Don't watch it. Okay. <laughs> because holy shit. Dude, watching that me watching that movie today, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. That movie is that was one of the first movies I've seen about like uh it was one of the first scary movies I saw. And uh, was it sponsored by Scientology? Dude, I don't even I don't even think Scientology likes that movie, dude. Like that movie is fucking scary. I have to watch it now. Have you genuinely not seen it? I thought you were being sarcastic. No, I'm not. Dude, movie was a fucking blockbuster, bro. (laughs) My man Tom Cruise. Yeah, I never got I never got my orders. There's a scene in that movie where uh don't ruin it for me. What are you doing? You had 20 years to fucking watch this movie. And I'm going to tell you Fine. about one scene. Okay. So these fucking things just are like coming out of the ground. There's one day I, they're not even saucers. Like they're these big tripod things. And one day there's these like lightning strikes and these, the ground just starts fucking opening up and these giant tripods just start coming out and they're like, and they just start vaporizing people and it's fucking hell. And people are like, holy shit, what's going on? Like, what is going on? What are these things? They're like ancient or something. Everyone fucking dies. There's blood everywhere. They like are obsessed with blood. And then like, there's a scene with Tom Cruise and this fucking dude, uh, I think his name's Tim Robbins, the dude from uh, what's it, Shawshank Redemption? Yeah, is that his name? Okay, well that guy's in the movie, and uh, Tom Cruise like kills him with a shovel. A bunch of like pigeons and shit start landing on one of the tripods, and they shoot it with a bazooka, and the thing just like falls over, and a bunch of orange juice comes out. <laughs> then I think it's Morgan Freeman. He's like the moment. From the moment they arrived, <laughs> they were doomed. And I guess they got like sick or something. Yeah. So here's another one that I think is uh, a really good little uh, tidbit from Mr. Dr. Keel. 
flying saucer extraterrestrial visitants are not real in the sense that a 747 airliner is real. They are transmogrifications of energy under the control of some unknown extra-dimensional intelligence. This intelligence controls important events by manipulating specific human beings through the phenomenon of mystical illumination. Our religions are based upon our longtime awareness of this intelligence and our struggle to reduce it to humanly acceptable terms. That's one of the best Keel quotes, I think. That nails it, bro. That nails yeah. like 70% of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There's something out there. It fucks with us. We try to understand it and it drives us insane. <laughs> That's it. Signing off. Have a good night. <laughs> That'll be perfect. Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty good for this week. I just want to, as always, thank everyone who uh, comes and hangs out in the Discord through the Patreon. Really appreciate you guys and all the uh, research you do and learn a lot of actually really, really interesting stuff in there. So, yeah, just uh, want to express my appreciation there and uh, check out our website, PatternsTellStories.com. It's new. I'm trying to keep the news updated. I work a full-time job, so I do what I can. And um, I don't know. Hopefully it's enough. But uh, Garrett, you got anything? No, just thank you to everybody who takes the time out of their day to listen to this show because it's, I don't know if people check that type of shit, but it's doing good. It's really doing good. And I'm uh, just so appreciative. Yeah, it's rad. It really is. And um, yeah, I think that that's about it for this week and we will see you next week. So thanks for listening. See you then.